Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out a community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. An update, and uh, I it's it's uh, is sobering just to to look up and, and see Moise and Magda's faces, and, and know that in some ways, like Chelsea said, we uh, we can't have uh, direct impact there as far as things that we can do physically, and so it is um, just encouragement for us to pray and know that God is in control, uh, and and know that 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 church that that we've planted there, that church we built a building with, is an extension of of who we are, and that we're we're proud of them, we love them, and we want to see God move and. And keep them safe and, and meet their needs. And so I would encourage you to, to do that, to pray, you know, in the coming weeks and months, pray with your, your families, and uh, we can just sit back and, and see what God will do. Uh, I wanted to, to uh, just remind us uh, as we get going today, uh, next Sunday, uh, we are going to have the, uh, the groundbreaking uh, for a new building that is out across the road from uh, Memorial Middle School and Bradley High School. Uh, that'll be at three in the afternoon on November 20th. And uh, I hope the weather will be better than it was yesterday, right? So uh, maybe start packing up your, uh, your boots and things, bring a shovel, but we're excited to go out there to that land uh, and just dedicate that to the Lord to say thank you uh, for what he's done. We're excited about that. And, and as, you're, as you're praying, keep praying for, for good weather. Obviously, a lot of the building industry uh, relies on, on good weather, and so we're, we're hoping that they'll have time to move dirt and to start concrete here in a couple of weeks. And so keep uh, keep lifting that up. All the details are on Instagram and Facebook, and you can check that stuff out later. But just a reminder, uh, if you're not there next Sunday, I will be personally offended and our friendship is over. So, uh, and if you're wondering, am I kidding? Just test me, okay? Uh, no, I'm just joking. But we'll, we'll be out there, excited about that, excited about what God is, is doing. Uh, hey, we've, uh, we've been in a, a series called Ownership, and we've been talking about uh, this concept of owning our faith. And uh, it, it hasn't been about... Uh, just making a list and saying, if you don't do this, you're a bad person. Uh, but we've been, we've been constantly going back to this passage in Acts chapter 2, uh, because it's really when we see the, the first church formed. Uh, obviously, you guys know uh, books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or the, the Gospels, the story of the life and ministry of Jesus. And when Jesus uh, had, had given his life, he said, I'm going back to, to heaven to prepare a place for you. And we, we really saw the first church formed. And so as Jesus had left earth, a lot of people were looking around saying like, okay, now what? And so we've been going back to this passage in Acts 2 and, and reading this. And I love uh, this, this simple uh, interaction where Peter is able to just share the gospel. He's able to say, this is who Jesus was. This is what this means for us. And so I want to read this again as we have uh, every week in this series. This is Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 36. You don't have to look it up. We'll be in another passage today. But I want to just read this. This is Peter sharing the gospel. He says this, Acts two thirty-six. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. And so we see uh, very clearly that the gospel is going out to the world in the book of Acts and what we see happening next is another passage that we've been reading is, is basically their response to the gospel. No one said, hey, this is what has to happen next. But when believers are rooted and anchored in the gospel, when they know the gospel, when they've heard the gospel, what we see happen next, this famous passage from Acts chapter two is their natural response to the gospel. And it says this, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, and all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved." As we read that passage and highlight that passage, we're not saying that the church in Acts was perfect or that people back then were super Christians. No, it's just a a glimpse and a snapshot, really, that we can say when the first gospel went out, when the gospel went to the world, when people were able to understand who Jesus was and what that meant for their lives, what was their natural reaction? And that was the natural reaction of the church. That was their response to the gospel. That was the way they changed their lives and postured their lives and lived their lives because of who Jesus was And what he had done. And so when we talk about ownership, we talk about owning our faith, we're just talking about a simple response. If you hang around Movement Church long enough, you'll hear us say the phrase that we want to be a place where people can own their faith and and own the church, not just be renters. And we're not saying that to name a a list of things or to, to be religious and say, if you don't do this, you're not in the club. If you don't do this, you're a bad person. We're just trying to simply highlight, this is what a life looks like that's been changed by the gospel. This is what a life looks like when someone is compelled by the gospel. And so ownership is really just our version of membership. It's a a greater investment, a greater buy-in, and we've defined ownership as this. We've said that it's spending daily time with Jesus, growing to be more like him. We've said that it's consistent Sunday morning attendance. We've said that it's honoring God by giving a portion of our finances back to him. It's involvement in a movement group. Ownership is using your gifts on a volunteer team. And ownership is regularly sharing the gospel locally and globally. And so in that spirit, in that heart of, of understanding who Jesus is and then having what we believe is a natural response, I want to invite you to turn to the passage that we're going to be in today. And uh, it's a passage that we've actually read also in this series. We believe there's some, some core rhythms, and so we're going back to them and, and looking for things that we can, we can add and we can uh, really apply. But we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1 this morning. And so we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 all the way down through 29, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 29. It's on page 711, so if you've got a, a Bible there under your seat, around your seat, you can grab that, turn to page 711 and read Colossians 1 with us. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word, if you don't have a Bible, or maybe you lost yours, that happens sometimes, we don't like to talk about it, but we lose Bibles, right? If you want a new Bible, or you like the way that one reads, that is our gift to you, and you can take that home to study and to have. But let's read Colossians 1 together, page 711. And see what God has to teach us this morning. It says this. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. 
He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and the authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. We read this passage a couple of weeks ago, and the reason that I wanted to take us to it again today is because I think there may be no better snapshot, or at least it's probably in the top couple snapshots, of who Jesus is in Scripture. And so this passage, these verses 15 to 22, are saying, listen, if you've forgotten who Jesus is, if you don't know who Jesus is, if sometimes you're maybe confused on on who Jesus is, this is everything you need to know. This is Jesus 101, and so this is not everything. I'm not going to take us through those and, and break down every word, but this passage and those verses remind us that Jesus is, is God, right? Those, those first verses right out of the gate say that Jesus is God. Jesus is part of the, the Trinity. When we're seeing Jesus, we're seeing God, and we can't overlook that. We can't forget that. This passage reminds us that, that Jesus is eternal, This is not just some created being that we're like, oh, he was a pretty good guy. He had some wise things to say. No, Jesus is eternal. Jesus is God. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is creator. We don't often think of Jesus as that way, but we're told that when creation happened as the the very foundations of our world unfolded, Jesus was there setting those things in motion. And Jesus is not just the creator of the world. He's the sustainer. He's the one who holds things together in ways that we don't comprehend or understand. Jesus is holding together the foundations of our world. This passage reminds us that Jesus is the head of his body, the church. He's the head of our gathering today, and he's the head of the universal church all around the world. And so Jesus, again, is not just some nice guy. He's not just a a good teacher. Jesus is God. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the sustainer. Jesus is the head of the church, and it should probably at this point go without saying, but Jesus is first in everything. And so there's, a, there's honestly an amount of glory that is due to Jesus. All glory is due to Jesus because of who he is, because of his character, because of what we're being told here about him. And this passage ends by telling us that he's the, the reconciler. He's the peacemaker. When, when we as humans brought sin into the world, when we fell short of God's standard, when the things in our lives, our, our actions and our words drew us far away from God, Jesus came and laid down his life and gave his life and paid the price and the sacrifice for our sins to close that gap and erase that gap so that we could know God and have relationship with God. Jesus laid down his life and took away all of the drama, all of the bad stuff. He reconciled us in relationship, through relationship, back to God so that there would be peace in this world. And so those few verses there are saying kind of obviously, hey, 
If you forget who Jesus is, he's a big deal. And if you want to deny what Jesus did, you cannot. And if you want to pretend that you don't owe anything to Jesus, you're kidding yourself. Jesus is God. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is creator. Jesus is sustainer. Jesus is head of the church, first in everything. And he's the reconciler peacemaker who gave his life for you and I. All right, we've got that established. And so I want to read this next verse in the context of of those verses because I think it changes the way we look at it. Verse 23 says this, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. And so this passage is being written to New Testament believers, people who have heard the gospel for the first time, people who understood that they were far from God, they were lost in their sin, they needed Jesus, and they surrendered their lives to him. They, they recognized that Jesus gave his life for them, and so they wanted to live their lives for him. And this passage is being written to believers that that understand that. And so they're being told, listen, you knew the gospel. You understood the gospel. You devoted yourselves to the gospel. You surrendered your lives to Jesus. You anchored your lives in Jesus. Don't give up on that. You, the church, you followers of Jesus, you people who would say that you are practicing the way, you're Christians, whatever words you want to put to that, do not give up on that. Continue to believe as an ongoing action. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a sometimes thing. It's an every-time thing, an all-the-time thing. Continue to believe and anchor your lives in Jesus. Surrender your lives to him. And this passage is saying, stand firm. Now, maybe you can do the math there, but whenever someone says stand firm, it means that there are attacks. It means that there's going to be something that's maybe going to tempt you to not stand firm or maybe there's going to be something that's tempting to sweep you away or make you drift stand firm in the gospel stand firm in your surrendered lives to Jesus stand firm in where you are don't drift that's the heart of what we're talking about as as ownership we're saying, okay, it's, it's, it's time to put down roots. It's time to establish our lives and our gifts and our ministry and a presence for the gospel out of overflow of our lives. Stand firm, don't drift, continually surrender your lives to Jesus and own your faith and own the church because it's what Jesus has called us to. So what does that look like? I love these next couple verses because it's basically like, hey, I told you all the good stuff. Now, here's, here's what you need to know just real quick. And this is out of a heart of who Jesus is, his character, what he means to us, and the fact that we're supposed to own our faith and, and not drift and stand firm as the church and stand firm as believers. And so verse 28 says this. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. I think sometimes we read the Bible as this, this very official document, and sometimes I think of this as just like a conversation with Paul, the author, is just saying like, okay, let me remind you who Jesus is. Okay, now you know who Jesus is. You need to stand firm. Okay, one more thing. We tell others about Christ. 
He just assumes that. He's just saying like, yeah, obviously, if you know who Jesus is, and, and I think I, I spelled out who he is there for a couple verses, guys, so you know that, and so I want you to, to not drift. Here's what you need to know about who we are, where we are, what we do. We tell others about Christ. Paul is just assuming that that's a, a no-brainer. It's, it's what we do, and so he just says, listen, we, we tell others about Christ. It doesn't mean that, that anyone should have to talk you into that. It doesn't mean that anyone should have to force you into that. He's just saying that's just the natural overflow of knowing who Jesus is, of having a relationship with Jesus, of standing firm and, and, and anchoring your life on that relationship with Jesus. If you know all those things, you're going to tell people about him. So that's what we do. We tell others about Jesus. As followers of Christ, as Christians, as movement church, as a universal church, it's what we do. We tell others about Jesus. Sometimes I don't know if that comes very easy, but I think it's fair to say that when we understand who Jesus is, when we're standing firm in our faith with him, telling the world about Jesus, telling others about Jesus should flow pretty naturally out of a surrendered life and a surrendered heart. That's what we do. If you're a Browns fan, what you do is cry every Sunday, right? I am one, so I can say that, right? It just, it just comes natural, and so that's, that's what we do. But you don't have to be a Browns fan, all right? That's, that's not, actually, you probably should be if you're an Ohioan, but I don't want to talk about it, right? But, but if, if you're a believer of, of Jesus, if you understand the gospel, this is the natural response. This is what you should do every Sunday afternoon, every Monday evening, every Tuesday at work. You tell others about Jesus because your life and your heart is surrendered to him. This passage goes on to say, teach others with the wisdom that God has given you. That's another thing that, that we do very naturally. And so you're not just running around the streets saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. No, no, you're, you're telling people, this is what a life that's rooted in Jesus looks like. This is how Jesus has changed me and transformed my heart. This is what it says in God's word where, where he gives us wisdom. We're passing those things along. And so we're not just getting together to be taught and learn from God's word for fun. We're doing that so you can pass that along to your children and to your family and to the people you interact with and the people that are in your neighborhood and the people that you work with. We're learning God's word and learning his wisdom so that we can pass that on and teach the world and show them that he's changed our lives and he wants to change their lives too we tell others about Christ and we teach others with the wisdom that God has given us we've been talking all through this series about about valuing our gathering together and being anchored in movement groups and using our gifts and all of these other things we're not doing those things and God has not asked us to do those things for fun he's doing those things to grow us and to mature us and to move us and to progress our faith so that we can turn around and spread our faith so that we can turn around and pass that faith on. We're being invested in and grown and matured in the church so that we can pass that on because Jesus gave his life for us. So we're told we tell others about Christ. We're told that we should teach others the wisdom that God has given us. And this last thing that's said I love so much, because of who Jesus is, because we want to stand firm in our faith, we're told that we should work and struggle depending on Christ's power that works within you. Now, that one's not as glamorous, is it? No, it's, it's not fun on our, our day off, on the weekend away, on a day when we think like, all right, I just got to go and buy some lunch and get home and watch football. And now someone's telling us, hey, if you know who Jesus is and if your life is anchored in him, you should work and struggle and depend on him. But if we're going to tell the world about Jesus... 
If we're going to tell the world what he's doing in us, we're gonna understand that there's a work side to that. That's not perfect and it's not guaranteed and it's not easy and it's not something that we can take for granted. And so if we're going to anchor our lives in Jesus and stand firm, there's a, there's a side of that that we're going to have to work to do that. If you've ever tried to share your faith or, or, or tell someone about Jesus or have an impact in their life, you know that it's not perfect. You know that sometimes you, you think the conversation is going to go this way and the conversation goes this way and you think that their, their week is going to be better and so you can give the glory of that to God and then they come and tell you they're having a worse week and you don't necessarily think that you know what to say in that moment and when we try to tell others about Jesus, when we try to do ministry, when we try to share the gospel and not only anchor our lives but help anchor the lives of other in Jesus, others in Jesus, it, it doesn't always go like we want it to go and so we're being reminded that this is work at the heart of the gospel we're being told that that we're not enough and for people who think that they are enough for people who are trying to be enough that can be offensive so sometimes communicating the gospel will mean that you have to remind people that the world doesn't revolve around them we think that's great because we know the world revolves around Jesus some people think that's offensive when we're telling other people about Jesus, it's going to be emotional. It's going to take a, a toll on us. It's going to remind us that we don't have all the answers. And so I love that this passage says, work and struggle depending on Christ's power that works within you. If you're trying to depend on your own power, if you're trying to take Jesus to the world, with your talent or your will or your drive or your plan, you're probably going to be quickly reminded that that's not enough. And so the secret to telling others about Jesus, the secret of seeing other people's lives pointed to Jesus is depending on Jesus. That's a shocker, huh? And yet, Every time I try to tell someone about Jesus, I have to relearn that. I have to be reminded of that. I have to have someone say, hey, you know, it's not dependent on you, right? Really? Yeah, really. We tell others about Jesus. And to do that, we depend on his power that's at work within us. Everything that you've probably ever done was worth working for. Some of you are in the process right now of trying to get that first real job and you're building up your resume and you're networking and you're talking to people and you're working to land that job and to get the dream job. Some of you are in your dream job. Some of you have built your careers, but you know that you had to work to make that happen. Some of you are sitting next to a spouse that's way out of your league and you had to trick that person into marrying you and you worked hard to trick that person into marrying you and you made it happen and it worked and kudos to you. I don't know how you did it, but you worked to make that happen, right? And now people meet you and they remind you that that spouse is out of your league and it's kind of offensive, but it's kind of a compliment too because you were able to work and make that happen, right? You got that job. You tricked that spouse into marrying you. You found that dream house and you went and visited and you wrote them a letter and you baked cookies and you said, we just want to raise our kids here so accept our bid of 50,000 less than all the other people and for some reason they sold you that house and gave you that house, right? Things that are worth having, things that are worth accomplishing, we understand that they take work. And so the, the gospel is no different. If we're going to work to share the gospel, we're going to work to tell others about Jesus, it's going to take a, a toll on us and it's going to be tiring and it's going to be exhausting and it's going to be worth it. When we understand who Jesus is, when we're rooted in him, we tell others about Jesus, 
It's what we do. It's who we are as followers of Christ. And we need to work hard at depending on him to do that. We're gonna be at the end of our emotions and our energy and our mental health. When our eyes are on him, we can tell the world about him. I shared a a quote a couple of weeks ago, and I think this is still very important. I said uh, that evangelism used to be the communication of information, and now it's meeting people at their pain. And so I think it's worth noting as we talk about evangelism that the face of evangelism and the face of culture has changed a lot in the last couple of years because we live in what is known as the post-Christian era. There was a time that you could go and talk to your neighbors, and if you looked at the average person around the world, they would probably assume that there was one God, and they would probably assume some sort of Judeo-Christian values, and so you just kind of had to like run the ball across the finish line and be like, hey, have you met my friend Jesus? Oh, you've been looking for him your whole life? Well, this is great. This just works out well for me. And, and now, as we look around culture and we look around the world, people are not assuming that there's one God and maybe that they already need him. They're assuming that they're God. They're assuming in some way that their, their self is, is God. That's what the post-Christian era looks like, and that's what the culture and the world that we're called to looks like, and so we have to change the ways that we take Jesus to the world to meet that culture. It doesn't mean that we change Jesus. It doesn't mean that Jesus isn't good enough. It just means that we've been dropped in this soil, and we've been dropped in this moment for this time, and so the way that we tell the world about Jesus has to fit this culture and this moment. And So I want to share another quote with you. It's by a man named Rich Halverson, who was the former chaplain of the United States Senate. He said, in the beginning, the church was a fellowship of men and women centering on the living Christ. Then the church moved to Greece, where it became a philosophy. Then it moved to Rome, where it became an institution. Next, it moved to Europe, where it became a culture. And finally, it moved to America, where it became an enterprise. Those are the mistakes of where culture has gone in sharing the living Jesus throughout the years and throughout the generations and and throughout all the time that the church has been called to naturally share their faith. Jesus is not just a philosophy. And Jesus is not just an institution. And Jesus is not just a culture or an enterprise. And sometimes, if we're not careful, those are the things that we're sharing Hey, you want to go to my church? It's pretty cool. That might be true. But people don't need to know or need to experience that your church is just cool. They need to experience that your church is cool because the living Jesus is changing and transforming lives in that church and that's what you want them to see and that's what you want them to be a part of. And so as we look around the world right now, we're seeing a a lot of people reject what we believe is Jesus, and we're seeing a lot of people reject what we believe is the gospel, and I don't think that's the case. I think that people are more than ever rejecting the philosophy of Christianity. They're rejecting the institution of the, the church. They're rejecting the culture of religion and this enterprise of the American business church. And sometimes we're offended by that, but I think at the core of what we believe, we would have to say, yeah, that's, that's kind of okay and that kind of makes sense because we've never pointed them to the living Jesus. We've never pointed them to the one who's the creator and the sustainer and the head of the church, and first in everything, the one who reconciled our faith and made peace in our hearts and peace around the world by surrendering his life. Point them to that, Jesus. And we'll see if if they want to reject that. 
There's there's three core longings that are built into the hearts of of humans because we're made in the image of God. And I just, I wanna share these today because I think these are important for the way that we share the gospel. And the three core longings are this, that everyone is looking for peace. They're looking for the absence of anxiety. Everyone is looking for prosperity. They're looking and longing for stability. And everyone is looking for purpose, meaning that they have a deep desire for meaning. And so we don't need to share philosophy. We don't need to share enterprise. We don't need to share culture. We don't need to share religion. We need to share Jesus who meets these needs. I mean, how many people do you know in your life right now who probably have anxiety, whose mental health is not in a good space? And we know peace. We have peace. We are rooted in peace. We have a relationship with peace, and it's our job to tell the world about peace. How many people do you know that played the Powerball in the last week because they thought, if I can just win the money after taxes, life will be perfect and and life will be better? And yet you've seen the research. People that win Powerball or win the lottery or do whatever are not, not having a great time for the rest of their life. People are looking for prosperity they're, they're longing for stability, and we know stability. We are rooted in stability. We have a relationship with the person who is stability, and we can share that with the world. There are longings in the hearts of people. Those longings are met in the person of Jesus. We get to share who he is. So what, is it, what does it look like to, to share Jesus in in the modern era, in the post-Christian era. Well, here's some research that I saw this week that Crew up in Canada has been doing. And if you don't know the culture of Canada, it's it's even more post-Christian than America. It looks a lot more like Europe, kind of between where America and Europe is. And so I think they've got some wisdom. And they would just say this. They would say, be present and listen. Follow the conversation, not your agenda. Find common ground. Build a relational bridge, not a spiritual chasm. The person that you're talking to, you should be able to walk in their shoes and understand their story and not your conclusions. Talk like a a real person. Sometimes us Christians are a little guilty of using fancy words and talking about things that don't make sense in the life of a a normal person. I remember the first time I was hanging out with some people when I moved to Columbus and uh, my, my friend was there and I said like, oh yeah, it's great that we get to fellowship tonight. And he said, you mean hang out? And I said, ah, yes, that's what you normals call it, hanging out, right? Make sure that we're using normal speech. Talk like a real person. Use words meant for people, not for the pew. And and tell a better story. Because we don't have to manufacture a story. We don't have to make up a story. We don't have to pretend that Jesus meets the needs of people. He does that on his own. He does that out of the character of who he is and out of his DNA. All we have to do is connect the dots. This is who Jesus is. This is what your life is crying out for. This is what you're longing for. Let me tell you about my friend. Let me tell you about someone that's changed my life. This is who Jesus is. This is what your pain is in your life. This is how Jesus is the answer. Because of who Jesus is, because we're followers of his, because our lives are surrendered to him, we get to tell people about Jesus. And that is the privilege of knowing him and that's the privilege of the gospel. That's what it looks like to own our faith. Because of who Jesus is, we get to tell others about him. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for 
letting us know you, God. Lord, thank you for sending your son to give his life for us. Thank you for sending your son so that we could know peace, so that we could be reconciled, so that we could have changed hearts and transformed lives. And God, help us to be people who are not just surrendered to the gospel in theory, but people who are surrendered to the gospel and want to tell the world. God, it's not always perfect when we try to share our faith. It's not always eloquent. God, we want to be people who are committed to that work and committed to the work of of telling others how you've changed us. So God, I pray as, as we've talked through that today, Lord, I pray that you will bring someone to our mind right now, Lord, someone that we know that we will see this week, someone we know we will speak to, someone we know we'll spend time with. God, help us be committed to meeting them at their pain and sharing how Jesus is the answer. God, let us depend on you along the way because we know it won't be perfect. We know we're, we're not in control, but we know it's what we're called to do and it's the natural overflow of our lives and our surrendered hearts. So God, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for letting us do your work alongside you, for giving us the power to do that. And God, give us the courage and the strength to stand firm this week. Give us the, the courage to share our faith. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encourages you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.